0: BLOCK TALK RADIO Welcome, BLOCK TALK RADIO listeners. I'm your hostess, Evangelist Wanda Clay, sharing God's sacred word Bible study with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all you do. And though our best isn't good enough, we come asking for forgiveness. You are like none other higher than the highest. So I ask that you fix that that needs fixing everywhere for everybody. Because you already know our needs, fix them, Lord Jesus. And move in me, Lord, to help others understand your word on this talk show. I pray that you continue its growth and bless Block Talk Radio financially and spiritually. Lord, give us. Knowledge and understanding Of what you want us to know And I pray for those who seek your word To find you heavenly father Bless and watch over them In Jesus name Let them And everyone Everywhere Learn to depend on you And those who have found you Strengthen us Lord And guide us not into temptation But help us to just walk away Bless those, Lord, who are struggling and those not struggling because we need a blessing from you, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, help us to love and pray for ourselves and others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Before I start, let me again thank God for guiding me And I pray for everyone's understanding of his word. Always, always, I thank Minister Joel Lewis and Granny's place for giving me this opportunity. I'm here three Fridays a month, 8 to 8.30 a.m. Plus, on Facebook at Peace Keep God First, you're welcome to join our group 24 hours with questions, answers, comments, Recipes and much more. Due to time on Blog Talk Radio, I'll give you the outline of each chapter and comment on some verses. Now, let's get into our lesson. Today, our lesson comes from Ephesians chapter 5 and 6. Ephesians chapter 5. We had Several important exhortations in the close of the foregoing chapter, and they're continued now here in chapter 5. Number 1, we have here an exhortation to mutual love and charity in verses 1 and 2. Number 2, against all manner of uncleanliness with proper arguments and readiness proposed against sin in verses 3 through 20. And number 3, the apostle directs the discharge of relatives' duties from verse 21 throughout this and in the beginning of the next chapter. So since we have mostly covered the first two parts of our outline, we will skip down to 21 through 33 which speaks of marriage, Christ, and the church. And Paul said that a husband and wife should love one another as Christ loves his church, and that a marriage is about a male and female being as one just as Christian members become as one in Christ. So the Apostle Paul compares the bride to the church. And the groom is compared to Christ's love for his church. Verses 21 through 33, Paul lays down a general foundation for these duties. And he says that the believer's continuous reverence for God is the basis for his submission to other believers, being as we are one in Christ working with the fear of God, giving truth that we truly fear him. And Paul says, "Where there is mutual submission, the duties of all relationships will be better performed in the church. And Paul also says that there is a mutual submission that Christians owe to one another. One is to bear one another's burden. Two, not putting themselves above others. Three, not being dominating. And four, not giving laws to one another. He says that we must be of a yielding and submissive spirit and ready to do all the duties God has allotted us in the world. From verse 22 to the end, Paul speaks of the duties of the husbands and the wives in a Christian manner, setting the church as an example of the wife's suggestion and Christ as an example of love in the husband's suggestion. The duty prescribed to wives is submission to their husbands in the Lord, and the apostle gives the reason why the husband is the head of the wife in verses 22 through 23, and he said, God gave man a right to direct and govern according to his creation. God made man first. Then he took a rib from Adam, man, and made Eve, woman, whom God made husband and wife united as one. God designed it its way. Any other way isn't designed by God. The metaphor head is taken from the head in the natural body, being the seat of reason, wisdom, knowledge, and motion. Therefore, man is called the head, even as Christ is the head of the church. And this commandment that women be submissive to their husband's applies to every Christian wife, no matter what her ability, education, knowledge of scripture, spiritual maturity, or any other qualifications she may have, her husband is always the head of their marriage, as Christ is the head of the church. Man is the head of the wife. The submission is not the husband's command, but for the wife to willingly offer a balance that emphasizes that he is hers. And as a personal intimate relationship, she submits to the man that she possesses as her own because the obedient spiritual wife's supreme commission is to the Lord. And her attitude is that she willfully submits as obedience to the Lord who has given his command as his will for her. Regardless of her husband's personal and worthiness or spiritual condition in verses 5 through 9, she submits to God's will. Paul also says, that Christ's authority is exercised over the church for the saving of her from evil and the supplying of her with every good thing for her, and he's talking about the church. The love which God requires from the husband in behalf of his wife will make amends for for the suggestion which he demands from her to her husband and the prescribed, uh suggestion of the wife will be an abundant return for that love of the husband which Christ may do for her. so Paul flips the script and he begins uh to speak on the love of Christ to his church, and he says that saving grace make believers holy by the word of God, so that they may be a pure bride. He says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. It demands a purifying love because God is pure. A Christian husband shouldn't rather thought of anything simple in his wife that that displeases God. Verses 26 and 27. His greatest desire for her, which is the church, is that she becomes perfectly conformed, conformed to Christ. So he leads her to purity. That's in Second Corinthians 11 and 23. And he says that there should be no wrinkles in the church, that he might perfectly unite it to himself. In the great day, a glorious church, perfect in knowledge and in holiness, not having spots, no wrinkles, no any such thing, Uh, not being deformative or defilement remaining, but being entirely pleasing in God's eyes, holy and without blemish, is free from the least remains of sin. And Paul says that the church in general and believers will not be without spot or wrinkle till they come to glory. From this and the former verse together, uh, we can take notice that the glorifying of the church is intended in the sanctifying of it, and that those and those only who are sanctified now will be glorified hereafter. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies as Christ loves the church, in verse 28. And he goes on and says that the wife being made one with her husband, not in a natural sense, but in a civil and a relative sense, is an argument by which he should love her as he loves himself. For no man hates his own flesh. No man in his right senses ever hated himself. However deformed and whatever his imperfections might be, he nourishes and cherishes, it, and he uses himself with a great deal of care and tenderness, and is industrious to supply himself with everything convenient or good for him, with food, clothing, and etc. And this is as he should be to his wife, in verse 29. Now this doesn't mean that a man's obligations to other relations is counseled because of his marriage, but that this relation is to be preferred to all others, and they shall be two as one flesh by virtue of the uh matrimonial bond. And in verse thirty two it says in the New Testament, mystery was hidden in the Old Testament and revealed in the New Testament age to be written in Scripture. And marriage is a sacred reflection of the magnificent and brutal mystery of a union between the Messiah and his church, completely unknown until the New Testament. Verse 32, and Paul says, I speak concerning Christ and the church. After this, the apostle concludes this part of his discourse with a brief summary of the duties of the husbands and the wives. Nevertheless, he said, let every one of you love his wife even as himself. In verse 33, and the wife is to see. That she reverence her husband. Reverence consists of love and esteem, which produces a care to please. An affair with the wife, with the wife's reverence of her husband, is the will of God and the law of the relationship. Paul is an example of this truly Christian temple, for he became all things to all men. Now we move on to chapter 6. Chapter 6. In this chapter, the apostle proceeds in the exhortation to uh, relative duties, which he began in the former chapter, particularly insisting on the duties of the children and the parents and of servants and masters in verses 1 through 9. And number 2, He directs Christians how to behave themselves in spiritual warfare with the enemies of their souls and to the exercise of several Christian graces, which he proposes to them as so many pieces of spiritual armor to preserve and defend them in the conflict and warfare, which is in verses 10 through 18. And number three, we have the conclusion of the Episcopal in which he takes his leave with them, uh recommending himself to the prayers of the believing officials and praying for them. Thus in verses nineteen through twenty four. Verses one through nine, here we have the duty of children to obey their parents. Come ye children and hearken to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. The great duty of children is to obey their parents, which is in verse 1. That obedience which God demands from their children and their behalf includes an inward reverence as well as the outward expression in Acts. Obeying the Lord, Paul said, We face trials and tribulations throughout of life, as well as being tempted by Satan and his demons, which is a constant battle, and that Satan has many tricks of his sleeve to make us turn from light into darkness. Put on the whole armor of God because Satan is powerful, very powerful. Verses 10 through 18 says that if Christians be soldiers, of Jesus Christ, that spiritual strength and courage are very necessary for our spiritual warfare. We must be strong in the Lord, because we have no sufficient strength of our own, that we must put on the armor of God, which is prepared for us, and we must pray for grace given us, that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. All the devil assaults force and fraud, all the deceit, all the snares that he lays for us, and all the schemes he has against us. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, and not against ordinary human enemies, nor against men compound of flesh and blood, nor against our own corrupt nations natures, but against the several ranks of devils who have a government which they exercise in this world. And Paul says, number one, that the devil has a thousand ways of beguiling unstable souls. And he's called an old serpent experienced in the art and the trade of tempting, which is in verse 11. And number two says, the dark parts of the world are the seats of Satan's empire. And that they are prince over all men who are not yet in a state, who are still yet in a state of sin and ignorance. And that Satan's world is a kingdom of darkness, whereas Christ's world is a kingdom of light. And Paul says that they're spiritual enemies in verse 12. And he says that the devil is a spirit, a wicked spirit, And our danger is greater because they're unseen and assault us when we're not aware of them. And they annoy the saints and provoke them to spiritual wickedness, pride, envy, malice, and so forth. And they assault us in the things that belong to our soul and labor to deface the heavenly images. In our hearts, Paul says that we must withstand. We must not yield to the devil's allurements and assaults, but oppose him. In verse 13, Satan is the wicked one, and his kingdom is the kingdom of sin. To stand against Satan is to strive against sin, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, in the day of temptation. Or any other sort of affliction. That we must stand our ground. Resist him. And he'll flee. And our warfare will be accomplished. And we shall finally be victorious. And that we must stand armed. armed as a Christian. By armor of God. The armor of light. And righteousness. 2 Corinthians 6 and seven and Romans 13 and 12. And now Paul flips the script, and he specifies the part of this armor, both offensive and defensive. The military girdle or belt, the breastplate, the greaves of of the soldier's shoes, the shield, the helmet, and the sword. Number one, truth or sincerity is our girdle. It was prophesied of Paul that righteousness should be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdles of his rims. Verse 14 and also in Isaiah 11 and 15. Number two, righteousness must be our breastplate. The breastplate secures the vitals and it shelters the heart. The righteousness of Christ implanted in us. Is our breastplate to fortify the heart against the attacks which Satan makes against us. Number three is resolutions must be as the greaves to our legs and their feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace in verse 15. With this, our feet must be shod for the living a life of repentance. We are armed against temptation to sin, and the design of our great enemy. We have protection with God's word. And number four, faith must be our shield. Above all, this is more necessary than any of them. The breastplate secures the Bible, but with the shield, we turn every way, and this is the victory over the work in verse sixteen. Consider that faith is the evidence of things not seen and the substance of things hoped for, and it will be, and it will appear to be, at Marus for this purpose. The shield which we must quench these fiery darts, so that they may not hit us, or at least that they won't hurt us. Satan's temptations are about darts because of their swift. And undiscerned flight, and the deep wounds that they give to the soul. Fiery darts, which are to flame the parts which were wounded, were called the serpents with poison stings, or are called fiery serpents. For five, salvation must be our helmet. The helmet secures the head, a good hope of salvation. Well-founded and well-built the soul and keep it from being troubled and tormented by Satan. Good hope keeps us trusting in God and rejoicing in him, which is in verse 17. And number six, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. It is very necessary and of great use to Christians. It's called the sword of the spirit because it is of the spirit's indictments that he renders it effectuous and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Number seven, prayer must buckle on all the other parts of our Christian armor. We must join prayer with all these graces for our defense against these spiritual enemies, employing help and assistance of God as the case requires, we must always pray, which is in verse eighteen. Verse nineteen through twenty four. Here he desires their prayers for him. And he says that we must pray for all saints and particularly for God's faithful servants. And he recommends teach us unto them. He sent them with this epistle that he might acquaint them with what other churches were informed of, namely how he did, what he did, how he was used by the Romans in his bonds, and how he behaved himself in the person, uh, circumstances. And they tell, and he tells them that he was a beloved brother and a faithful minister in the Lord. That he was a sincere Christian, and so a brother in Christ, he was a faithful minister. To the work of Christ. And he was very dear to Paul, which makes Paul's love to these Christian Ephesians the more observable in that he should now part with some good and dear friend for their sake, when his company and conversation must have been particularly delightful and servile to himself. And number four, he concludes. With his good wishes and prayers for them, and not for them only, but for all the brethren. In verses twenty-three and twenty-four, his usual benediction was peace and grace. But there he says, "Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith." By peace, we are under, we are to understand all manners of peace: peace with God, peace with consciousness peace among themselves, and all outward prosperity is included in the world, in the word. As if he had said, I wish the continuance and the increase of all happiness to you and love with faith. All grace and blessings are derived to the saints from God through the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ, who continues constant in their love to him, so as not to be corrupted out of it by any baits or seductions whatsoever. Love our Lord Jesus Christ, and it is or ought to be the desire and prayer of every lover of Christ that it may be so with all his fellow Christians. And he closes with, Amen, so be it. This ends our Bible study. I pray God's Circuit Word has shed some light on things for you. I'll see you next time, right here, the same time. And don't forget to visit us on Facebook. At peace, keep God first, and first is written as one S-T. Oh, and don't forget to check in with God from time to time. 24 hours is free. May God bless you and keep you until we meet again. Amen. And bye.